unified body of people, local, localized body of people on mission together, radicalized and spiritualized by the power of his Holy Spirit to bring transformative change, not just to us individually, but to transformation into the area in which we are. That's what we are. Human, so the kingdom philosophy is entirely different than the worldly philosophy. What happens oftentimes is the church becomes inundated with, with worldly philosophy and worldly teaching. We don't want to, the church has a feel-good philosophy. We don't want anybody to feel, feel bad. We don't want anybody to get left out. It's all about your feelings. And man, if somebody says something negative about you, they need to apologize. That may be so, but Jesus didn't go around apologizing when he hurt people's feelings in, a, in the context of sin. He would say, you're a sinner, and he wouldn't blink. He would call the religious leaders who thought they were correct and didn't need correction. He said, you're a barrel of snakes. You are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, and he didn't stutter. The point was not to make the person feel good about themselves. The point was to address the problem that they inherently had. We cannot be afraid to call sin, sin. We cannot be afraid to say, that's sinful, you're a sinner, not everybody's saved. This is not a universal gospel. Jesus died for the whole world. Say it with me. Jesus died for the whole world. Anyone and everyone can be saved, but not everyone is saved, and not everyone will be. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. So just because we think, oh, we're all saved, this is a big teaching, and it comes in again, and I have to address this. My job is to raise up a church without spot or blemish. My job is to preach to you what is pure and straight from the scriptures, not what is culturally popular. Be instant in season and out. Preach the word, whether it's popular, whether it's the flavor of the day, or whether it's not. Sin is not the flavor of the day in the American church. I just want to let you know about that. And that's why we have a lot of problems and there's a lot of dysfunction. Say this with me. Just because there's sin doesn't mean there isn't a solution. There's a solution. Okay? So sin isn't this all-consuming thing that doesn't have an answer to it. There's an answer. Human attempts is evolutionary theory. Well, we're, we're all getting better. Aren't we? That's what evolution teaches. We're all evolving. We've come from a primordial soup. Where did the primordial soup come from? We don't know. So we all come from something. They just don't know where that is. They're saying we all come from a cesspool. Catfish jumped up on the land, grew legs, became a monkey, became, and then a monkey became a man. That's just fundamentally flawed in every way. So evolutionary theory says, well, we're all coming from a state of disorder, and we're moving towards a state of order. That doesn't even apply to the laws of physics. The laws of physics are completely against the law of evolution. Evolution is a massive contradiction. There's nothing true about evolution at all. Say so they keep teaching it in schools and they keep to they're lying to you. It's a lie. Physics, mathematical law of physics is in direct opposition to evolution. Everybody say it with me. The law of thermodynamics opposes evolutionary theory. Evolution says we come from disorder and are moving towards order. The physical law, the law of physics, says we're coming from order and we're degrading into disorder. We see that. That all makes sense. You got a 2019 Mercedes and you want to go park it in the woods. You're not going to go back in 10 years and it's going to be a Ferrari or a Bugatti. It's not evolving. You're not evolving. I don't know. Look in the mirror. Are you evolving? Is your hair getting... Are you getting more hair or are you getting less hair? Are you getting younger or are you getting older? Just asking. You know? Stuff starts going out. You know, you're not... You don't have like soccer player thighs. You know? We're in our 50s and we're like... Yeah. You know? We're not getting bigger and stronger and evolving into this greater state of being. We're actually degrading as the law of thermodynamics says. It's direct opposition to evolution. Evolution is the biggest lie ever perpetrated upon the human race. And it's an absolute denial of God. 
You were not created by a loving father. You were not created to be in relationship to a loving father. You came from nothing, therefore you are nothing. You're no different than an animal. You have no responsibility to your instincts. Behave like an animal as long as you don't, as long as you don't hurt anybody. Well, who determines who hurt? What hurt is? You know? Who, who has the right to say what is right and what is wrong? Evolution says do what thou wilt, which is the whole of the law. It's satanic in its nature. That's the, that's the first decree of the satanic Bible. Do what you want. That's exactly what evolution says. You're an animal. Just follow your animalistic instincts. It's okay. It's wrong. Psychology. I was just reading a thing on psychology. Psychologist said, I was reading this thing. I was telling my wife in the car. I said, I just read this thing on this article. Psychologist said, the purpose, this is going to kill, this is just, this like just blows my mind. The purpose of psychology is not to solve people's problems. You know what I would say? Well, what am I paying you for? <laughs> the purpose of psychology is to make you aware of your problems. And to teach you how to better manage your problems. It's true. Got a guy here. Got several counselors here. That, and one of the guys I've known very well. And he said, I said, what did you learn in school? He's like, not much. Not much. <laughs> I was just talking to a psychology major. She's working at Publix. I was, I said, I was asking her. Because um, I go to the same Publix. So one of the things of living on mission is you go to the same places. And you begin to develop the relationships with the people in the same place. So I go to the same grocery store, I learn the people's names, I start talking to the same people, you know, no matter where I go, I try to build those relationships, hopefully at some point, whether I have the immediate bridge to share the gospel or at some point, there's a girl that I always go to her line, her name's Clarissa, and she's in school, I go, you in school, Clarissa? She's like, yeah, I go, what do you study? She's like, psychology. I said, what are you learning? She said, I am learning that uh, they don't know anything. That's what she said. She said, everything I've learned thus far is nothing but theory. That's true. They don't, know, they don't know how to fix you. Psychology, the purpose of psychology is not to fix you. That's, that's, that's a statement that they make. So you go to a psychologist to get fixed. Well, their whole purpose is not to fix you. It's to keep you coming back again and again and again and again to help you manage your problems. Not solve your problems. Make you aware that you actually have a problem. They won't call it sin. It's not sinful. Your problem is your problem. Psychology is based in relativism. Well, what's right to you is not right to me. What's wrong to you is not wrong to me. It's all relative theory. It's, it, it, all of this stuff is, is interwoven with humanism. Social constructs of affirmation and, and denial. We're just an affirming society. I'm all about affirmation. Encouragement is, is part of the essence of the gospel. The welcoming of the stranger, the exhortation of one another, is one, that's the note spiritual development. One of the things that speaks of spiritual maturity is when you, have, when you are able to exhort others. The Bible relates that as spiritual maturity, so exhortation is there. In other words, when you're blessed and something happens for you, I don't go, well, what about me? I go, wow, that is so awesome. The ability to celebrate the success of another, the Bible relates that as spiritual maturity. So if you can't celebrate the success of another, you don't have spiritual maturity. I didn't say you weren't saved. I didn't say Jesus doesn't love you. But if every time somebody gets blessed, you, I know your first impression is, what about me? Anytime you think, what about me? You need to remind yourself that God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he will do for me. Jesus doesn't have favorites. He has intimates. No favoritism with the Lord, only intimates. You're all welcome to come, but most won't. You want to stand over there in the corner and pout and get mad while Sister Susie's over there pressing into the heart of God, hearing God, getting loved by God, allowing the Lord to bless her. Most people can't even receive the blessings of God because they have an issue with unworthiness. They don't feel worthy of His blessings. Therefore, even while He tries to give them to you, there's a resistance within the heart and within the spirit because the person themselves, they don't feel worthy. You're worthy because he says you're worthy. Amen. Good God, help us all. If I'm worthy because I say I'm worthy, well, good luck with that. If my worth and value depends upon the opinions of other people, good luck with that. I am so glad my worth and value does not come from other people. Uh, and you should be thrilled that your worth and value comes from Jesus. Who loves you on your worst day. He's always glad to see you. Yes. 
He's always happy to see you. He loves you beyond measure. <laughs> and these are the problems with sin is we have a society that's only affirmation and it's a denial of everything negative. There's a fundamental flaws when you omit sin from human nature. That's why psychology can't solve human problems because they're not dealing with the root of the problem. The root of the problem is sin. If you don't deal with sin, I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm talking about sinful behavior, right from wrong. There is a right and there is a wrong. And we don't get to vote on it. Again, human, humans think that we can vote on what is right and wrong. You don't get to vote on righteousness. I'm sorry. You don't get to vote. The Lord determines righteousness. He determines what is right and what is wrong. He has never given that power to man. We have a lot of designated authority. We have a lot of designated power. We have designated sovereignty. The Holy Spirit gives us authority and power in Jesus' name. We have a ton of it. And there's only a handful of areas that the Lord holds back for himself. There's just a handful. One of them is righteousness. Righteousness is determined by the Lord. He gives man all kinds of authority, but he doesn't give him that one. That one belongs to me. You don't get to tell me what's right and wrong. I get to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm king. He holds that as his sovereign, that's his sovereign right. And when human, human psychology and human effort doesn't address the problem of sin, you have a problem. That's why you know, we see it, the whole society begins to degrade. Righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to every people. When we allow sin to come into place and we don't address it for what it actually is, it infects, it degrades, it corrupts, it corrodes, and ultimately destroys everything. People, places, and things. Even in the lives of believers. Even in the lives of believers. Marriages, relationships. Your anger can be sinful. What? That makes me mad just by the fact that you tell me that my anger can be sinful. There's nothing wrong with anger per se. Anger is an indicator of something greater. But when your anger is forceful and demeaning and, and hurtful to other people, that anger, it's not your Cubanness, it's not your Irishness, it's not your Catholicness, it's not your Italianness, it's not your ancestry that's doing it, it's your sin nature that's doing it. Well, I'm angry because I'm Irish. Well, good luck. No, you're angry because you're sinful. You hurt people in your anger because it's sin. And you're, you're operating out of a wound. And that wound is being... You're, you're now throwing your infection all over everybody else. Sin. That has nothing to do with your culture. That has nothing to do with your upbringing. You may have been wounded in your upbringing, and that may be the result of the anger. But nonetheless, that anger itself is sinful. Self-indulgence. All, there's all kinds of things that are that's sinful behavior. We have to address it. Mankind is not getting better. Watch this one. This is amazing to me. I tried to figure out how many genocides we've had in the last hundred years. We've had 15 genocides in the last hundred years. Wow. Do you know what a genocide is? When mass killings. People don't realize this, but Miami is very acquainted with a genocide. Cuba was a genocide. Fidel Castro killed thousands of people in cold blood without thinking. The guy comes to this church, he's telling me, how I, saw, I, watched my, I watched Castro's men march my family out into the street, shoot everybody, and he said, I literally had to step over my father's body. Is that a genocide? I think it is. 21st century, Western world, genocide. We've had 15 in 100 years. We average a genocide about every seven and a half years. I was at a clothing show. I used to be in the clothing business. And I was at a clothing show one time, and I was sitting with these people. And, um, and this person's telling me, oh, you're from Miami. And I'm like, yes. And this woman's they're from another country. And she's saying, oh, we in my country, we admire the Cuban revolution. We think that everything, that, that, that it was just a beautiful revolution. I said, really? You should come to Miami, and you should speak to the Cubans in Miami, and let them tell you if what they experienced was a beautiful thing. True. I was at Publix on the beach one time, and I'm going through the checkout line on, on Miami Beach when I used to live on Miami Beach. And this woman looks up at me, and she goes, it's February the 12th. I'm like, yeah. And she goes, my father was executed by Castro X amount of years ago. A woman in a checkout line. At, I seem to have encounters with checkout people. I don't know. 
Publix is a ministry sphere for me, apparently. So anyway, we're not getting better. Every seven and a half years, we kill each other in epic scale. Uh, at least half of those genocides were post-Hitler, after Hitler. And so after Hitler, we said, we're going to have a world court and we're going to bring people in because we're never going to have another genocide. How are we doing? Not good. Bosnia, Darfur, Somalia. Pick a continent, pick a nation, pick a people. And there's genocides going on around the world that just aren't even known. There's ethnic cleansing going on around the world. We just don't know about it. What's my point? Mankind is not getting better. Mankind is martyrous and selfish and greedy at heart. And what is the, where is the root of that? The root of that is in sin. That's where the root is. The Bible says all evil comes forth from that. Sin, what does sin look like? Sin is envy and self-seeking. Scripture says where there is envy and self-seeking, there is confusion and every form of evil. It's the manifestation of sin is the consumption upon the self. That's, that's, that's what Lucifer did. That's what Adam did. It's the renouncing of God. It's all about me. So where there is self-seeking and envy, there is confusion and every evil thing. I'll give you, I'm going to help you guys out right now. I'm going to give you something that psychologists will never give you. If you're confused and you're living in this state of confusion all the time, ask the Holy Spirit, where am I envious? Where am I self-seeking? Because confusion has a right to be there if there is envy and self-seeking. So if you find yourself constantly swimming in a world of confusion, you need to let the Lord identify to you where the envy is, where the jealousy is. (laughs) You need to let the Lord identify to you what you're seeking that's selfish and outside of His will. Because when you're seeking selfishly and you're envious or jealous of something... There's nothing wrong with desiring get, desiring things. Desire is not wrong. Say it with me. Desire is not wrong. But to want it at the expense of another, that is wrong. That's what coveting is. You want it at the other person's expense. Why do you have it? I'm better than you. I should have that. You don't need that. I deserve that. Envious. I'll give you another one. Uh, Give it. Say this. I'm going to help you out. Jealousy reveals itself in the killing of the ideal. Who do you not like? A person gets under your skin. Why do they get under your skin? You ever wonder that? You murder your ideal. There's something about that person that is an ideal to you. And you have fear in your heart. You don't want to embrace the ideals that you have in your heart. And so you murder your ideal. How do you know this? Because I live it. I ask the Lord, why do I do that? What, what, is, it, what is it about me that makes... Listen, listen. Okay? I know we're Christians. And we like to play little games. And we like to pretend we're all righteous and holy. And the pastor wants to project that to you every Sunday. As if he's so righteous and holy. But they're not. They're not. They may be a little more spiritually developed than you. But other than that, they struggle with the same thing. And I want to be in tune with what is against the Lord within my nature. And I want to know why. I want the devil to have no rights over me. And I want my life to reflect the glory of the goodness of God and the power of God, what he has set before me. And so I'm willing to look at the ugly within my own life. Most people won't. Most people won't. Because again, we just live in this world of affirmation and denial, stick our head in the sand and pretend there's nothing wrong. I would find myself like seeing certain people, like maybe movie stars or, you know, I don't know, whoever, somebody, somebody I don't even know. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, I don't like that person. You know? And it wasn't that I didn't like that person. I know none of you all ever feel that way. I know you guys are all spiritually transcended. So if you're spiritually transcended, just stretch your hands towards me and give me some of that transcendent ability that you possess. And so what I would do, and it wasn't like I didn't like the person because of what they were representing. There was something about the person. This person had done nothing to me. And I started asking the Lord, what is my problem? I don't want to feel the way that I feel. Why do I feel that way? And he would tell me. 
you murder your ideal. Leaves me right there. Every, say it with me. You're going to remember this. I'm going to coach you. This is going to be an insanely developed church. Say that when the Lord speaks to me, it is always an invitation to further conversation. He doesn't say one thing. He won't, but he's only going to say one thing unless you go further. He'll just tell you one thing. Why do I feel that way? The Lord said, kill your idea. I went like, oh. But then I said, what, what do you mean I'm killing my ideal? The Lord says, there's something about that person. There's something that this person has that you want. That's a desire within your own heart. And you're too afraid to embrace it. You're too afraid to acknowledge it. And so you not only kill it within yourself, you murder it in everybody else you see. Again, I know I'm speaking to a spiritually transcendent crowd that would never experience such things as I'm speaking of. That stuff comes from on high, people. That stuff doesn't come from the earth. That wisdom does not come from flesh and blood. That wisdom comes from on high. There's no human being going to tell you that. No human being is going to tell you that. But Jesus only says, things to me. You're murdering your ideal. How am I doing that? There's something within that person that place, that thing, whatever it may be, that you desire, that you want, that's innate to you, it's in you, and you have murdered it or suppressed it within yourself. And so you, because you've suppressed it within yourself and you've not really embraced it or understood it within yourself, you murder it in everybody else you see. Success, marriage, pick one. Relationships, whatever it may be, you murder it in others. And then I said, what is it that I'm murdering? And he's like, well, that's the question. And that's where the wrestling begins. Because he doesn't give... We want Jesus to just give us a script. He doesn't give you a script. He gives you a relationship. He doesn't give you a script. He gives you a direction. Most Christians are lazy. Absolutely, 100% spiritually lazy. We come to church, we want a checklist. Because we don't want to think. You know, we want a mandate. Because we don't want to have to relate to the Holy Spirit on our own. And all of that's true. There can be a script. Listen, there's directions to follow. Jesus will tell you how to put the bike together. There's a script. But get on the bike and ride the bike. You need to explore the bicycle a little bit. You need to see if you can jump ramps. You need to begin to learn what it is that you actually have. Most believers are so lazy. The world's biggest failure is the neglect of salvation. The people who don't know Christ, their biggest neglect is to reject Jesus. That is the height of all foolishness, of all human beings. However, the church has one just as equal. The church's greatest neglect and its height of foolishness is the neglect of the depth of a relationship that they have been given in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. It's intimate, it's personal, and it's relational. And it's transformative. So I began the quest of going, what is it that I don't like? And the Lord began to show me. And the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. He didn't tell me. He said, what is it? It's like, what do they have? And I started seeing what they have. I'm like, well, I don't want that. I don't want that. I'd like his hair, dude, but I don't, like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. And I started realizing, what is it that this person possesses? I realize this person possesses, they're significant. They're doing something significant. And I don't feel like I am. Or I'm denying the calling of significance that's on my life. And so I'm murdering the ones who operate in significance. Because I'm denying it. And you know what denial means? It doesn't mean you just say, I don't have significance. Denial means you you can even know you have significance and you do nothing with it. That's the same as denying your significance. doesn't mean like, well, I'm just a worm. I don't have significance. You know you have significance, but you don't do anything with it. It's equal. You bury the talent. That's what you do. So it's significance. Another thing the person that I found the Lord giving me is legacy. This person is doing something that will carry on beyond their lifetime. And I started thinking, I want that. I want that. And because I don't want to embrace the significance that I have, and I won't step into the significance of that I have, I cannot produce legacy. So the core is the significance the core, the, the, and the legacy. And then the third thing was influence. 
And I learned about myself. I learned three essential values about myself that no man, no psychologist, no book, nobody, nowhere, no how would ever have taught me. But the Holy Spirit, the master teacher, taught me. Kevin, you want influence. And I said, I do. I didn't want fame. Person's famous. You know, people that I was, I was hating. You know, eight by ten glossies, you know, whatever. You know, they're, they're famous. They're like famous. They're all ego, famous, famous. And I'm like, I don't want the fame. I have no interest in the fame. But what is it about the fame that's, that, that, that's making me hate them? And the Lord said, it's the influence. You don't want the fame, Kevin, but you want the influence. And I'm like, I do. I have no, I have no interest. You know, th- there's only one rock star. His name's Jesus. I live to make him famous. I live for that. I don't live to make me famous. I live to make him famous. I want to shape the body of Christ. I want to shape the generation that I live in. I want the world to know that I lived. Is anybody in the room? Okay. So I began to discover, and this is completely not on the message of sin, but I'm coming back to it. I'm going to take two minutes. I'm going to finish this and then go back to sin. But But I had to address the sin that was in me. By addressing my nature and the sin that was in me, addressing that well, I know my behavior towards these people is not right and I kept denying it oh I don't feel that way I don't feel that way and then one day I basically was just like having a day usually when you're tired that's when that happens right you're frustrated frustration is a relationship to an unmet desire that's what it is frustration is directly related to an unmet desire or frustration is directly related to a misguided desire. Either one. But that's what frustration means. So you've got to realize what these things are. They're indicators. They're not condemners. Oh, you know, you know like I'm, I'm around this stuff and I've had some, I got fed up with it. It's like I don't even like associate with this anymore. Because Christians, we love to counsel each other, don't you? Don't you love the way we counsel each other? Oh, so spiritual. Oh, so righteous. You know, y'all don't get it here. Because we're not like that. But, but I grew up, I spent 30 years of my life in church leadership. And I know, oh, well, you just need to repent of that. You just need to. No one ever taught me what I'm teaching you. No one ever taught me how to deal with my angst. No one ever taught me what frustration really is. You and I'd be frustrated and they'd go, well, brother, you just need to be content. And I'm like, if I was content, if I could be content, I would be content. But I'm not content. I'm not. Anybody here? Yes. You're not. Contentment is this. The Lord taught me. Contentment is, I'm okay with where I am, I'm not staying here. That's contentment. Contentment is, we just need to accept our lot in life and do nothing. That's the church's definition of contentment. That's not Jesus' definition of contentment. I'm okay with where I'm at, but I'm not staying here. Amen. That's, that's, that's what it means. You know? I'm here. I accept that. I'm okay with it, but I am not staying here. I am going forward. Amen. And I learned that I want influence. I learned that I didn't want to do anything unless it was significant. I learned that I wanted legacy. And what it did, by examining my sin nature... I learned valuable lessons about myself. And watch, the kingdom always affects your thinking process. Always. The way the, the kingdom is made to influence the way that you think and the way that you believe. And the way that you think and the way that you believe will ultimately direct your life. And so every decision I make, if it doesn't have significant influence or legacy attached to it, I say no. I say no. But if it has significance, influence, and legacy attached to it, doesn't matter if I understand it. I say yes. I'm an idiot. We're, we're, why are we playing? The latest one, I have several. We're doing a preschool. Do you all know? Do we, do we know anything about doing a preschool? Where's Diana? We don't know anything about doing a preschool. But I know business. But, the, but like, I'm like, why are we doing a preschool? And the Lord says, because it's significant, it has influence, and it has legacy. And we say Yes. And we're going to do a specific type of preschool that influences kids with spirituality and the kingdom of God and all these things. So I said yes to that. I'm in India, planting churches on another continent, working with 21 pastors that I've never met. Why? Because it is significant. What am I gaining out of it? Nothing. Nothing. 
And I push these guys. Okay, all right. So, all right, I'm going to take one minute on this one. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Say, he's coming back. <laughs> I push these guys because I want them to push back. And so I tell Alex, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to be very direct with them. And I'm ex- don't, don't freak out if they have a melt. I'm, if you want to be a leader and you're going to suck your thumb and cry, you better go address that need before you desire to step up to lead the church of God. To stand before God's people. So I'm like, if you guys can't take it, then go, go, go plant corn. You know, go fishing. Go fix a truck. But if you want to lead the house of God, this is what it looks like. And if I say this to you and you get offended, you need to deal with your offense. And so like, first two lessons, I'm just like, whack, 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 whack. I said, what are the questions? And, and Alex, you guys know Alex. He was teaching last week. He's really kind of calm and, you know, really like, you know, well, um, you know, pastor. Uh, I'm like, what, Alex, tell me their questions. He said, well, they want to know why you're being so hard on them. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll tell them why I'm being hard on them. And then he said, and I, he starts telling me all these questions and all these different things. And, and then one of the questions was, you know, well, are we going to get paid for this? It's okay. I expect that. I want that. I want him to, I want him to, you know, tell me up yours and give me the finger and walk out the door. I'm not trying to keep these guys. I don't need 21. I need five. I don't need, we don't need 21. We need five guys that are all in and are willing to plant churches. Five guys that are wholly committed and are bought into the program that we're assigning to them. And from those five, we will, bloom, we will bring those five to bloom stage and we will begin to propagate churches through those five. That's the goal. I don't need 21. I didn't tell them anything, but the good news is nobody left. I'm like, I'm trying to weed these guys out. They don't go. But they're like, are we going to get paid? You know, they're like, you know, this is a big devote. This is a big commitment of my time. Of my time. Are we getting? Are you going to pay us for this? And I'm like, no. And apparently, Alex's dad used to pay them to come to these meetings. I told his dad, I said, stop paying these guys to come to this meeting. I said, stop paying them. Don't give them a dime. Don't give them a dime. You know, somebody's poor and broke, busted or something. They won't come up their own volition. Get them. We don't. We need to pay people to serve Jesus. Right? We don't need to, we don't need to, like, would you come to a meeting here? I'll pay you to come to a meeting. Don't come. Don't come. The glorious gospel is here. Don't come. Where else are you going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to go? And they're like, well, well, this is a big commitment in my time. And I said, I said to them, and they're asking me this, you know, in their language. <laughs> and I said it back to the guy, and I could just see Alex's face, like, looking at me. Like, you want me to say that? And he didn't say it, and his dad grabbed the microphone, and his dad said it. And I said to him, I said, you think you're committing time? You think this is a commitment? I said, what do you think it is of me? I go, I'm up at 2 in the morning right now doing a simulcast with you. I go, I'm not in bed with my wife. I said, I'm here. I have to put all this material together, create all of this curriculum, and I'm giving it to you. I said, I'm giving it to you. I said, I'm not charging you for this. I said, I'm giving it to you. So I said, I said, the what am I getting out of it? I said, you're getting out of it the same thing I'm getting out of it. We get out of it the honor and the right to serve Jesus. That's what we get out of it. So nonetheless, we're not getting better. <laughs> but if you look at, if you will begin to acknowledge things about yourself, Christian, you will improve. If you begin to understand why you can't let certain things go, you'll begin to improve. But it begins with your sin nature. It begins, to, it begins acknowledging that what I'm doing is not necessarily correct. Why do I speak in such sharp terms? Why do I do that? Why do I have a hard time receiving? Why do I always feel like I've got to be a giver? Why do I have a hard time always talking and never listening? Why do I have to feel like I'm at the front of the line all the time? Why can't I take the seat of the learner? Why do I have to pretend I'm a know-it-all? We have cities that have gun laws. The cities and states with the biggest gun laws have the biggest violent crimes. If external things solved our problems, then we would all our problems would be solved. The only improvement that human history has ever experienced has been the gospel. That's it. We had a radical shift in improvement when Jesus came. 
And when he was resurrected and the Holy Spirit was imparted, then all of a sudden human nature, now we have a different nature. We have an ability to change. The problem, say that with me, the problem is not external. The problem is internal. The Bible's worldview is that you're a sepsin nature. That's the Bible's worldview. You're not okay. The first lesson in this series was human depravity. Why? Because you are utterly and hopelessly lost without Christ, and you cannot save yourself. You cannot. There's a lot of good things about you, but spiritually you're lost. And your nature, your sin nature, over it's... Have you ever noticed it's a lot easier to do what is wrong than it is to do what is right? you ever noticed it's a lot easier to fire off that email? Text message? It's a lot easier to do those things than it is to do, do right things. It is, it's easier to do the wrong than it is to right. Why things are the way they are. Deco says, so the question is, is, where does sin begin? Sin originated in the angelic realm. So you can go to the next slide. When God creates, when say this, when the Lord creates, all of his living beings are given self-determination, which means will. You have an ability to self-determine. You can determine that I'm going to serve God, or you can determine I'm going to serve myself. You can determine to obey God, or you can determine that I'm going to obey my. I'm going to obey myself. You can determine to follow the kingdom, or you can determine to follow the worldly culture. You have self-determination. All beings are given that. The angels were given self-determination as well. Lucifer determined in his heart that he didn't need God. He says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Speaking of, of the devil before he fell, his name was Lucifer. Fell, his name is Satan. Lucent became darkness. You were the cherub who covers. I established you on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. I don't know what that is, but I want to see that. Jesus is sitting on a throne, and there's like fiery stones. And I think the Bible's a little understated. Fiery stones, I think it's like something like amazing. And so Lucifer was given access to the Father at an unequaled level. You were perfect in all your ways until you, in the, you were created until iniquity was found in you. So iniquity was found in Lucifer. What was his iniquity? Isaiah 14 said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will be like the Most High. I will sit upon the throne of the farthest reaches of the north. I will, I will, I will. No one like me. The Bible, Jesus said, it would, not only that, the Bible says he merchandised his sin. So what he's saying is like, we don't need God. We need me. So follow me. And so Lucifer merchandised his sin among the angels that he had influence with. And when he merchandised his sin, and he began to exalt himself above the throne of God. The Bible says he cast out of heaven. And Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. Sin comes from a self-determined will or a self-determined purpose set apart from God. That's what it comes from. Sin did not begin with God. The Bible says this, no one is tempted, they're tempted from God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not evil. In him is light, there is no darkness at all. Every gift comes down from him. God did not create any being with a sin nature. Sin was born in us. But a person is tempted when they are dragged around by their own desires. Self-determination in a direction apart from God. And after this desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, which is an action. And that action produces death. Even Christians sin, right? So man makes a self-determined action. So you have the gospel preached. You have people called to the kingdom. And they come to Christ. And they make a self-determined decision that I'm not coming to Jesus. I'm rejecting him. Or you make a self-determined decision that I'm going to receive the Lord. And you do. But even as a Christian, your sin does not necessarily condemn you. But your sin does produce death in your life. When you make self-determined choices apart from his direction, it doesn't produce anything good. Can we agree? Sin comes from a self-determined will set set apart from God. Timothy says this, right? Talking about pride. When Paul's talking to Timothy, he's talking about the installation of elders. He says an elder must not be a new convert. Because then they'll become conceited and fall into the same judgment of the devil, which was pride and affluence above the Lord. Like, I'm above the state that I'm in. Lucifer wasn't content to be in the state that he was in. Unparalleled access to God. But that wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough. 
death of the Spirit. So what sin produces, even in the believers. So we're talking to a room mainly of believers. And maybe a couple of you who don't know Christ will invite you at the end. But to the believer, when you make a choice apart from God, it produces death. It just does. You don't have to obey the decrees of the Lord. You've got to. The Christian is under grace. The commandments of God are He does command. He does command you. But you have a free will. You can choose to obey Him. People go, my time's my own. Who told you that? You are here this morning in direct obedience to the Lord. To come to church command. You are commanded. He didn't suggest it. He didn't ask you to vote. He didn't tell you if you feel like it. He didn't ask you only if it's not raining outside. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. So do you want to be among some, or do you want to be among the elite? If you want to be some, then do what thou wilt. But if you want to be the elite, then obey the Lord. And you come because he calls you to. When he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, in the Greek it's called an emphatic imperative, which means it's a direct order. He's not asking. He's telling you. Do not stay home and hug your pillow. Do not book fishing trips on my day. Do not put anything above me. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Do not. But you're free to do so. And as you do so, you reap the consequence. No, I'm not saying that. Fishing, man, I go fishing like, you know. Look, if your habit is to be here more than you're not, hey, but the problem is, is most Christians come to church no, less, no more than two times a month. That's a problem. You are a son and daughter of your father. The call upon your life and our 2020 vision for this church, say it with me. Rise, Rise. to the level of your birth. Rise to the level of who you are. Come on. So sin has two facets. So we have two facets of sin. So the first facet of sin is, is exclusion of God or the true God. It's not God as you understand him to be. It's God as he declares himself to be. The first facet of sin is there is no God or I worship a God as I understand him to be. That's the first sin. That is the sin of condemnation. Without Jesus, you are eternally condemned. You are hopeless and helpless and cannot save yourself. But in Christ... You are forgiven, restored, repositioned, re-identified, regenerated, given hope, given life, given inheritance, given blessing beyond measure, given access to things beyond your wildest imagination. But apart from Him, you are lost. And His name is Jesus. People go, we worship the same God. I tell them all the time, if your God's not Jesus, we don't worship the same God. <laughs> well, I'm Muslim. We have the same God. I'm like, not really. I come from the Baha'i faith. I'm like, we have the same God. I'm like, not really. Jews and Christians worship the same God. Not really. Not unless the Hebrew man says, Jesus, are we worshiping the same God? Say, they worship Yahweh. Yeah, and I worship Yeshua. I worship the Yahweh that saves. There's salvation in no other. Then there's choices against His will. Ignorant or arrogant that produces corruption. So we have corruption in our lives because of the choices that we make or because of the things that are done to us. The choices that you make do not condemn you, but they do produce corruption in your life. They do. You can be married, and it's God's will for you to be married and for you to drink water from your own well. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. <laughs> I set my affections on my wife because the Lord sets his affections on me. When the Bible says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, how does he love her? He sets his affections on you. He chooses to love you. So what do I do with my wife? I choose to love her. I set my affections on her in a self-determined way and say, I will love her and no other. Now I can be in that relationship with her and somebody else can come along and I can be led astray with the lust or the desire or the selfishness of my own thing and I can make a decision to cross the line with that person. Now is that going to corrupt me? Is that going to corrupt my marriage? Is there a woman in the room that thinks it's okay to share your husband? Is there? Is there? If you are, come up and please tell us where you got that feeling from. <laughs> I have never met a woman. Hell has no fury. I mean, those eyes turned to blazing fire.
I've never seen women like that in any other context. But in that context, you're like, whoa, where did this come from? We make choices against the Lord that do not condemn us, but they will corrupt us. Therefore, we must repent of them. Choices against the Lord produce corruptions. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a believing thing? In other words, why do people reject Jesus? Sin entered in the garden. I'll be going real quick. So the Lucifer falls. He goes to the garden. Man and woman are there. Lucifer shows up as a Hamathash. He's an angelic being with, an, with, an, with a snake-like body. That's what it was. He wasn't the garden snake. Eat. Eat the apple, Eve. The apple, Eve. That's how we portray him. Garden snake. He was, the Bible uses the word hanefesh. Snake-like. That's what, it, that's what it says. He was serpent-like. There's actually hieroglyphs, of, I usually put it up there, of, of, of a hanefesh. It's an angel, angelic, with a snake-like body. Eve was used to seeing angels. Heaven and earth were one. She's angels. God walked with them in the cool of the day. Seeing spiritual things was not uncommon to her. Didn't freak her out. Angel comes up, starts talking to her. She talked to angels every day. And the serpent comes up to her and says, God has said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. A woman eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the tree of the garden is good of evil. We shall not eat lest we touch it and we die. The language here is very interesting because God told Adam, the day that you eat of that tree, in, say it with me, in dying... You will die. You're going to die a death, and that death will ultimately lead to a further death. So what God told Adam is, in dying, you will die. When Eve responds to the serpent, she says, I'm going to drop down dead. And the serpent says, you will not die, as you say. <laughs> You're not dropping down dead. That's not going to happen. That's the convert. That's the dialogue that's going on there. That's why she was like... I'm not going to drop down dead. Of course, no, 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 no. You're not dropping down dead. But the Lord never said she was going to drop down dead. The Lord said, in dying, you will die. And that's what sin does. It separates and then produces death. It's always the pattern of sin. Separation, death, separation, death. In dying, we die. In dying, we die. So she took it. She ate it. And that's what sin entered the garden. Through The serpent fell and he merchandise that's sin to mankind and we all inherit that happy day I wonder if there's going to be like an MMA match with Adam when we all get to heaven everybody's going to be like like wrestling Adam put Adam in the ring man you caused this <laughs> mankind was created to be under authority we're under authority see mankind thought that they could be free by eating of the tree they'll be free of God but they didn't realize that man was created to be under authority you will never you are never not under authority Christian you are always under authority. The Bible tells us this. Romans tells the, the church, he says, Do you not know that who you submit yourself to, that becomes your master to obey? Whether sin to, to death or, or, uh, or Christ unto righteousness? We're never independent. We're either submitted unto the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, or we're submitted unto sin, which is the condemnation of the devil. But there is no independence for mankind. There's freedom, but that freedom is only found in Jesus. Jesus gives freedom. Sin gives slavery. But we're never, we're never fully independent. Under the authority of Jesus, the tree was, these people always like, well, what's the tree for? Why, why did God do the tree? The tree was a symbol of man's willful submission. Willful. He doesn't make you. He wants you to. He's not forcing anybody to do anything. He wants love to be given. Okay. I love women because I've learned a lot from, my, from women. In particular, my wife and my daughter. What I have learned, and men, sometimes you're wise to listen to your wife if she's a godly woman, a virtuous woman who can find one. Okay? Right? They're hard to find. So when you find a virtuous woman, that's right. I am Jesus. <laughs> when you find a virtuous woman, it's wise to listen to her. And I've learned a lot about love. From Sherry, and I loved, learned a lot about devotion of love of, from, from my wife. And I, I learned that I love her, she wants me to love her because I want to. She doesn't want me to love her. Oh, look at all the women's heads in the room going like this. All the guys are kind of going, What? What? And all the women are going, Yep, mm hmm, mm hmm. <laughs> the woman wants to be loved by the man because he wants to. She doesn't want his love if he's forced. 
if he feels obligated, well, you love me just because I'm your wife. You don't really love me because you want to love me. You love me only because you're stuck with me, and you love me because you're married with me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Help me help you, ladies. Is that what you want? You don't want that. You don't want that at all. That love nature, what you need to understand is that love nature comes from heaven. That, ability, that, that desire for love in that manner is the same desire. Jesus does not force you into anything. He wants it because you willingly give it. He doesn't want you to, he doesn't want, well, I guess I'm obligated. I guess I got a tithe. Uh, you know what Jesus says? Take it and go home with it. I don't want it. I don't want it. You want to keep it? You greed is a bigger infection in you than my love? Then keep it. And keep the infection that goes along with it. It's true. Well, I guess I got to go to church. Stay home. Stay home. Hug that pillow. Huh? You know what ends up happening? Is the void begins. The Bible says he puts leanness in your soul. Huh? Leanness in your soul. Anybody know what leanness in your soul is? Nothing satisfies it anymore. That God would teach us that we live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from his mouth. The Lord said he led them in the wilderness. And they wouldn't follow him. And because they wouldn't follow him and obey him, therefore he put leanness in their soul. He said, you're not entitled to that. It's yours, but only under these conditions. Leanness comes into our souls. Nothing can satisfy it. Sin is transmuted to all of Adam's descendants. We're all born of Adam. This is why you've got to be born again, people. We're all born of the blood of Adam. Look around the room. Miami is a beautiful place because there's such diversity. We have every color, every creed, every shape, every size, every language. Almost all of the languages of the nations are in this city. One of only a handful of cities like this in the entire nation. And you get to serve Jesus in a place like this? How fortunate are you? No. How fortunate are you? Oh, I wish I had time. I wish I had time. Therefore, it's just through one man sin entered. Death reigns through all. Until the law, sin was, in, in, sin was imputed even before there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the transgression of Adam. In other words, we're all born by Adam. Sin was there. Talking to a group of Jews. And, and the Jews believed that sin didn't come until the law was given. And Paul's correcting them and saying, no, that's not true. Sin reigned from Adam unto Moses. The law gave the knowledge of sin. The law did not bring about sin. The law made you aware that you're a sinner. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no idols before him. Do not take the Lord's name in vain or honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and live long in the land. Do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, do not bear false witness. All of that is to show you that you can't do it. Not steal. That's the last one. That's number eight, but nonetheless. But <laughs> a lot of water. But that's to show you that you, you, you're sinful. That's what the law is for. The law didn't bring sin. The law brought the knowledge of sin. The Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. Sin is presented to mankind. That's why the gospel, at the core of the gospel, you cannot preach the gospel without declaring sin. You can't. Why? Because the law points to sin. And sin, the Bible says, points to Jesus. The, guy, the doctor gives you a prescription, hands it to you, you walk out the door, it means nothing to you. But the doctor says, dude, you got a tumor. And if you don't take this medicine every hour on the hour, you're going to die. That, all of a sudden, that medicine means something to you, doesn't it? That medicine is now, you're going to put a light on it. You're going to build a shrine in your house around that medicine. You're going to set your clock towards that medicine. Because that medicine didn't mean anything to you if he just handed it to you. It's like, what is this, Tic Tacs? Jesus doesn't mean anything. The whole purpose of Christ's coming is the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of mankind unto relationship. The beginning of all things, it's there. But that's, the, that's step one. And Jesus means nothing without the knowledge of sin. And so if we don't preach sin... Though to the lost and to the sinner, there is no salvation, there is no forgiveness, and the cross of Christ is of nothing. It makes We treat it as a common thing, the Bible says, and that is not what we're to do. We are not to treat the blood of Jesus as a common thing. It is not common. It's not. Sin is not a result of the law. We're born in a sin. I'll give you this one. This is common. Well, the Jews have a different means of salvation. 
than the Christian. Who told you that? I have to teach this. Does it say that? Romans 3 9. Are Jews better off? We charge before all that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Jews have to repent too. They're not saved by faith in the temple, they're not saved by faith in the Torah. All must repent and come unto Christ. All. You know, I've had to watch the pastor teach this. Well, Jews have a different method of salvation. I literally watched a guy say this. At a conference, in a microphone, I'm like... And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Nod knowingly. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So there's two ways for people to get saved. I can convert to Judaism, and I can get saved that way, or I can, con- I can come to Christ. So Jesus was brutally murdered for nothing, right? Is that what you're trying to say? Blood of Christ is a common thing. Do you realize the king of glory let himself be murdered? Do you realize this? For you? He took a beating for you. Hung on a cross naked, bearing all the shame and the ridicule that you can make. I know we glamorize it and we make it look like it's all so sweet and oh so religious and oh so pious. It was brutal. It was vicious. It was ugly. It was nothing pretty about it. They pulled his beard spit in his face. They would have urinated on him if they could. And the Bible would have told you if they did that. But they pulled the beard out, punching him in the face. They put a bag over his head and just started punching him. Prophesy who's hitting you. Boom, boom, boom. Pull the beard out. Which was a, the Jews would pull the beard out. Because one of the penalties for blasphemy was to pull the beard out. So they accused him of blasphemy. And they grabbed his beard and pulled it out. Shoving thorns on his head. Crowned him. All this stuff. Hung it on a cross. He's buck naked on that cross. I know the Catholic Church puts him in a loincloth. He's not in a loincloth. Do you know why? Because the Romans crucified him. And the Romans were not nice people. You ever read about Roman crucifixion? They were sadists. They were sadists. These are people that war was the sea they swam in, to quote a book. That's all they did was swim in a sea of blood and war. And they took pleasure in crucifying. They would get drunk while they were crucified. That's exactly what they're doing with Jesus. They're getting drunk at the foot of the cross. They'd get wasted and play card games. And <laughs> laugh and mock and ridicule the whole time. Completely naked. Beaten, ashamed, dehydrated. All of it. For you. This is some religious game we're playing, man. This isn't some like, like, I don't, I, you know, what we, 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 we treat it like trinkets. It's real. This stuff is real. This stuff is alive. Your salvation is real. Your eternal destiny is real. Your promises and your inheritance and your identity that you have been given in Christ is real. It's true. Last thing, types of sin. First of all, is your sin nature. So how do we deal with our types of sin? Most of you in Christ, your sin nature has been dealt with. You have a new nature in Jesus. I didn't say you didn't sin. I just said you have a new nature. It's like a suit you get to put on any time. You put off the old, put on the new, right? Anybody know when you get in the spirit? Woo! I'm in the spirit. You got your Armani on, man. Now, now you're like rolling in the Gucci. You know? You got the spirit. You're a totally different person. And you take the Gucci off and then all of a sudden you're carnal you again. And you wonder, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. It's what's missing. You're not operating in the spirit. Get into the spirit and life always flows. You have two natures. You're given a new nature in Christ. Without, without Jesus, you don't get a new nature. It's the same old ugly you. Uh-huh. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how much soap. Bible says you wash with most soap and lime. You, you spray yourself with all kinds of perfume and cologne. And you ornament yourself. Yet your sin remains. I don't care how good these people on Instagram look. Without Christ, their sin remains. I don't care what their lifestyle looks like. Without Christ, their sin remains. You can dress it up. But it's still, it's nothing more than dressed up brokenness and fallenness. In Christ, you are more ornamented than you know. And we have sins of omission and sins of commission. I'm almost done. Just bear with me. Omission is, you did something and you didn't know what you did. I said something to Nina and it offended her. And I didn't know what I said and I had no clue. And so Nina comes to me and says, hey, you know, Pastor Kevin, you know, you said that and that kind of put me off. I would be like, what? I said that? Did that hurt you? Oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's what you do with sins of omission. Because you're going to do stuff and you're going to hurt people, place things and you don't mean to because you don't even know what you did no clue that's an omitted sin sin by omission you forgot to bring your wife flowers on your anniversary 
You better break out the platinum visa, brother. That's all I got to say. <laughs> then there's sins of commission. <laughs> that's when you go, yeah, I know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody know? Anybody here? Got real quiet on that one. Real quiet. <laughs> I know it's wrong. I shouldn't say this, but. You ever had that one? I shouldn't do this, but. That's a sin of commission. That's a repentance. And then there are sins of transgression. Transgression means when you cross the line. We omit, we commit, and then we just cross lines. We violate boundaries. That's transgression is. Transgression is to violate the boundaries. They're sins. Then we have iniquity. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. A lot of you suffer from iniquities because of sins of your ancestors, even as Christians. Is it possible? 100% is possible. See it all the time. See it all the time. Just saw this person over the, over the Thanksgiving weekend. And they showed me a picture, showed me this thing, and um, they gave it to me. And it says that their father, the older couple's father, the woman's father, was, a, um, she's a believer, but her father was a 32nd degree Mason. Worship master, that's what it said, of the Scottish Rites Temple. Scottish Rites was founded in South Carolina, and she's from South Carolina, so this stuff goes way back in her ancestry, and her father's a 32nd degree Mason. She's like, what does it say? And I said, it says your father was a 32nd. It's like, no, that's not true. I said, that's what it says. People don't know this, but one of the curses of masonry, ready? You don't think it's just transformational? You don't think this stuff, transgender, this stuff goes beyond generations? The curse of masonry is, is if you violate masonry, they can pull your tongue out. And the second thing of violating masonry is they disembowel you. She has a son that will not speak to her under any circumstances. She has another son who has had a major part of his intestines removed. Oh, that's just normal! No, that's an ancestral sin through the line, the bloodline, and it's carried onto her through iniquity. Why does it affect the Christian? Because the devil can mock the Christian. Say, why doesn't why don't the sisters get it? Why don't the brother get it? It goes to the Christian. That's why. He doesn't care. You all have there's ancestral sins in your family that manifest through the believer. They don't manifest. You got a cousin that does not a Christian, and they don't have the same issue, but you do. You do. You don't know why. I was telling my wife. I told my wife that. She just looked at me. Her head went back. I told her, I said, you know what you think it's unusual? So the curse of masonry in here is the removal of the tongue and the, remo- and the disembowelment. I said her one son is mute and will not speak to her ever. And her other son had half his intestines removed. I said, yeah, that's normal. And her father, his, the grandfather, was a 32nd degree mason. If you don't think this stuff's real, you are kidding yourself. You have got to deal with the iniquity in your bloodline. I'm a Christian. I'm free from all curses. Keep telling yourself that. While poverty continues to invade you and destroy you. Just a thought. i got to move on. I'm out of time. Sin nature has to be dealt with, including iniquity. What issues are in your bloodline? You have masonry in your bloodline? You need to get it. You need to deal with it. Do you? You have abuse, abandonment, neglect. You have witchcraft in your bloodline? You need to deal with it. You need to deal with it. Santeria is witchcraft, ladies and gentlemen. I know we're, I know we're in Miami. Well, no, but that's good. It's, it's the Cuban religion. No, it's witchcraft. Straight out, full on witchcraft. <laughs> I have not met a person, most Cubans in Miami, and I love the Cuban people dearly. One of the reasons why the culture is so affected with the things that it is, I know people and they're like, their grandmother's doing Santeria. Every, every Cuban I talk to, there's one or two, there's one or two people removed. They know, what they, they know someone in their family who practices Santeria. Almost every one of them. Every Cuban. And most of you that are Cubans in the room, you know somebody. Maybe your grandmother, maybe your grandfather, maybe your uncle, maybe your aunt, maybe your cousin. But you know somebody who's doing witchcraft. You know someone. It's one of the reasons why Miami is oppressed with the gospel because we have open witchcraft being practiced in the city. We have blood rights being given. There's blood being shed. All the chickens disappear on the full moon. You ever wonder about that? Where'd the chickens go? Yeah. Yeah, y'all know what I'm saying. Voodoo too. Voodoo too. Haitian community. Bound. Poverty. 
one of the designations of witchcraft is two things. Destruction and poverty. Destruction, poverty. Look no further. Pattern destruction, pattern poverty. Knock, knock. Witchcraft's at the dough. Sin must be dealt with. You must be born again. Inner healing, renouncing, pronouncing, omission, commission. You have to admit it and quit it, restore and operate. But what I want to close with this. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I am completely out of time. You've never given your life to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do so. The number one nature of sin, the number one part of sin that has to be dealt with is the nature that you were born with. You didn't ask to be born as you were born. You didn't ask to be born with the nature that you have. But nonetheless, you have it. And what Jesus does is He offers you a new nature. He offers you a new beginning. He offers you a way out. He offers to forgive you. He offers to restore you. He offers to cleanse you. And to give you a hopeful future. And speaking of knocking at the door, He knocks at the door of your heart. The Bible says this, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll commune with you. All you got to do is open the door of your heart. So we're going to do this with a prayer. We're going to pray to prayer together. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, or you're like, I'm not really sure if I did this, or I can't remember if I did, then you need to do it. We're going to pray together. All you got to do is open your heart, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And just pray along with the prayer. Just say this together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. You say, that's it? No, that's the beginning. That's just the start of it. So we're going to have a prayer team available for you over here. If you need prayer for anything, please go and allow them to pray for you uh, for whatever you may need. But let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. Come on, just open up your heart. Say this, I'm worthy of the best gifts that Jesus offers. I'm worthy Because He says I'm worthy. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May He give you peace. May you forever live in His favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.